Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we are continuing in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Welcome back, Peter. Thank you. Jeez, I feel better now. Is your is your yeah. energy coming back? Yeah, I ate lunch, uh, late lunch. I came in here, I was like dragging. And I had a great workout. I had a good day. I don't know what the heck. I, but I've seen you guys made me feel better. Oh. And thank you for reminding me of what we were going to talk about today, too, <laughs> because my notes were very different today. Oh. But I like it. We had talked earlier, uh, and we had some really good information that we, we drew out of ourselves and, and others that work with us. Yes. We work with other people, too. We got and, some uh, great suggestions from Kelly, who works in our office with we us. We have a really great team um, at the at the institute, and um, sometimes they're an adjunct to our nonprofit, and they're smart. Each one, in their own way, has a, had their own gifts. We got Haloa and and uh, Kelly, who's our down to earth woman. Yes, is great. We have uh, um, Maritha, our angel from Fiji. Who used to be a teacher for 27 years. Did you know that? Yes, middle school, the really challenging age. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, who else? <laughs> okay. Oh, we've got lots of good friends and yeah, supporters. Yeah, we do. And we have some wonderful, uh, actually today I was walking Benny, our, our dog, our, our dog who works with uh, trauma folks. And he's just an angel. He's a big, huge German shepherd. He's got, he's got a heart of gold. And sure enough, a couple, beautiful couple, stopped me walking. And I said, we work a veteran. Well, he turned out to be a, a Marine, a muscle-bound, beautiful-looking Marine mm. with a big, full black beard and his beautiful wife. And she was a caregiver. Yeah. And we had a lovely conversation. And uh, it was just a special walk. And so Benny drew pe- draws people to us. He does. Yeah. And this guy, they look at him and they say, is it all right if I approach? I go, are you kidding me? This dog loves that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. He, yeah. He's so big, and German Shepherds have a bad reputation. This one is, Benny is a gift, and uh, he works with people who've gone through difficult times, disabled, elderly. He's got a heart of gold. So anyway, I had a good afternoon talking to them. They were fun. Yeah. So yeah, I walked away feeling very uplifted, and I told them my whole life story in about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> One of those really great encounters, because we love this town. Yeah. And it was just full of encounters like you that. You are right. I can't walk down the street without meeting nice new people. Yeah. Uh, I know there's other kinds out there, but they sure aren't attracted to me, and I'm so glad. Mm. But you're right. A lot of good people in this town. It's a great place. And it's a great place to do these um, radio and, and podcast interviews and uh, yeah. discussions. I love it. I love this place. It's a place that's filled with good people, caring, loving people. One of those people uh, was our guest on episode 19, uh, Mimi, Mimi. Emerald. Yep. And I know you ran into her today, I and I spoke today. with her too. And um, our our episode with her, the one that we did lately, we covered so much good stuff, and uh, some of it 
really, we at the time, we felt like we were really going through it fast, and yet there was so much energy and so much interest, and we shared so many mm-hmm. uh, perspectives in, in common, uh, coming at it from just slightly different, different orientation. Um, so I know today we want to uh, draw on some of what we talked then. Um, today we're looking at um, reframing trauma, the emotions around trauma. We're looking at uh, energy drains. Uh, one of the terms we threw out uh, with Mimi was energy economy, and that we want to kind of flesh that out a little bit today. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, how we can preserve ourselves, how we can restore ourselves, how we can move forward. Uh, that's a major theme for us. Right. And I, I'm just looking at something else that absolutely that goes with that. But, um, you know, one of the things we mention a lot is trauma and crisis. And I think it was Mimi or was it Kelly? Either one. Both of them. Uh, both of them said, you know, there's a lot of stigma to that word. Even though people who go through trauma are in the midst of it, they don't know it's trauma unless it's a shock trauma. And they're not going to admit it so quickly. And we sure see that a lot. Yes. And I, I wanted to put this out today and have this talk a little bit about the stigma um, associated with those experiences. Because not all experience that's difficult is only traumatic or is a is an outright shock, or shocking tra- uh, trauma or crisis. There's a, we're talking about there's other things in life that also cause challenges to, our, to us, um, and that has to do with a lot of this accumulated mounting stress, failures, difficult changes. Those are a lot more common to people than these shock traumas that are life-changing, I mean, instantly. Yes, and nothing will ever be the same again. Yeah, I would I would venture to say that um, everyone at some point in their lives, at more than one point in their life, experiences what you're talking about: Absolutely. mounting stress, Absolutely. change, failure. Those are common to real life. Absolutely, and we don't want to use a word and let a word get in the way of the bigger, of the more important issue issue right um but we would use word trauma to us as well we've been working with it for 20, 50 years almost uh i'm coming out of it in pretty darn good shape and i'm still very motivated and passionate about what i do but it's more than that other people when i go into the civilian life they don't talk about trauma so much. They talk about difficulties and challenges. The shock traumas, oh yeah, they'll talk to me about that. Yeah. But that's what people think about. When you say trauma, they think about Violence, shock. war, combat, uh, uh, some kind of natural disaster like yes. a hurricane. Or the fires. Or the fires. And those that's true. Those are shock traumas. Those are major upheavals. And those are the things that tr- create such incredible life change on the spot and and moving forward. So yeah, we know about that and so do other people, but what comes out of it is the same. And that is, you, you, you go through these things and uh, I'm just thinking about um, uh, an example, uh, but what can come out of this, instead of being discouraged and defeated and despairing, which is our emotional states that everybody hits on. They, I mean, we're human, it happens. We're talking about reframing it or even how to reframe it in a way that leads to something more incredibly more positive. In fact, life-changing. Um, 
I've talked to enough people and I've experienced it and I continue to, where you develop a deeper sense of appreciation for life and um, having a new passion for opportunities that are coming, even though you may not know exactly what they are yet. Um, instead of being fearful and, and always expecting things to go into some terrible experience, you look forward to the changes and you become to be, uh, excuse me, become so grateful, <coughs> excuse me, even for the little things. So I've heard people, in fact, a great example of it is we've had all these terrible wildfires in the last couple of years. Yeah. In our area, we've had dramatic, dramatic, horrendous, nightmarish uh, wildfires that displace thousands and thousands So of many affected, so many have lost so much. And I have heard an amazing, more than once, because I've talked to a number of people and known a number that have gone through it, one of our staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they do, they talk about, number one, that there is no guarantees or promises about what the future holds. The other is that we don't have the control that we thought we did and that um, it can be swept away in moments. And uh, what else did they say? Um, controls. Well, they, they also say that it makes you... It has made them re-examine what really matters yes. and their priorities. That's correct. And how appreciative they become for life and to live it for the moment, to make the best out of it, and to embrace life for its preciousness now. They also begin to realize that instead of investing themselves in tangible things to give them a sense of security or well-being, money, homes, property, cars, whatever, jobs, whatever, <clears throat> they begin to realize that's not where true security comes from. In fact, they learned that that could be swept away in moments. And uh, we knew so many that have lost absolutely everything in these fires. You and might say they lost everything, but in looking back on it, they have also eventually been able to gain something. And that's, you know, that's true. And what you're at saying. the time, if you said that to them, that would be and like, what are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. And I, I, that's. I'm glad you brought that up because we're helping some people now that have lost everything. They're still dealing with the fires. They're dealing with the losses from the fires. Yeah. They're dealing with other disasters that have had health disasters afterwards in their own families. And right now, we couldn't tell them. Mm-mm how wonderful things are going to turn out. Yes. Or that there's going to be purpose and meaning. I mean, it's all true. But for where they are right now, they would look at us and go, are you kidding me? Yeah. And then they'd start telling us about what it's like to live day to day. The way they have Everything they believed in, everything they loved, everything they had is gone. And even the people they depended on have either fallen away um, with health issues. Uh, we know some that have died. We're dealing with some now that have uh, moved into Alzheimer's and dementia, which also seems to be an epidemic. Mm -hmm. So these people are dealing with so much. And all we can do is tell them how to get through, get through each day yeah. and how to meet the challenges that they have to face. Now, we know that eventually they're going to come out for, of this. And as long as uh, they're willing to trust us, mm -hmm. Um, we know that we'll move them into a more positive direction, but we couldn't do that and be insensitive to what they're going through right now. So we have to help them 
day by day, not even day by day, hour, sometimes hour to hour. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I look at that and I, I hear what you said, and then I'm hearing, we better make sure we cover the spectrum here from, yeah. yes, they're going to come out of this. We've seen so many come out with a greater appreciation for life and gratitude and understanding of that they don't have the control that they did. And uh, we know we know they talked about how precious life is to begin to grasp that and uh, uh, realize that everything could, it could end in a minute. They don't have the control. None of us do. And yet they have a gratitude for what it, they do have, and it's much less than what they had a year ago or two. That's Yes, we're helping those folks, and we know they've come to a place of reflection. And some of them came to that, I know, after the fires very fast. Um, but we also are dealing with people, here they are in a year and a half later. <clears throat> they're not through it. In no. fact, things are getting worse for them. And they're fighting with the insurance companies. They can't get their homes rebuilt. They can't... Their finances can't match what they had before. Uh, we have one lady that we're helping. She, her ranch, she lived on it for seventy-two years. It yes. was a, her, her home for life, and it was completely wiped out in the fires. Yeah. And her husband afterwards, who's obviously I didn't meet him, but a strong, capable, dependable man, developed Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. One of our staff went through the same thing. She got through it all. Her father came back and died a week later after the fires. Yeah. He was sick, but he was going along. But it just, that was the breaking point. That was all he could handle. We've seen so much of this. But we want to relate to those folks, and we want to we help them through the emotional uh, pathway that goes with this. That's an excellent phrase, the yeah. emotional pathway. Let's mm-hmm. return to that. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, just before that break, we were talking about um, the experience of so many people in our just in our in our area here, who have gone through um, such a difficult time with the the wildfires that have happened over the last couple of years, and how in the midst of it, it can be uh, overwhelmingly painful and stressful and difficult, and yet also for some, they can come through it. Uh, with a new perspective and a new gratitude, uh, a new a new uh, way of looking at their lives and uh, and what matters to them, and the last phrase you used was an emotional pathway and the value of working through the emotions around these types of experiences. Uh, so let's let's talk about that because I think that would really I, I'm thinking what would be helpful for the people listening, and I think. If you could kind of con- make that kind of a little more concrete, that would help everyone. Yeah, and I, you know, thinking about, uh, I'm just looking at some of my old notes. Um, how when we, we go through these troubled times, how everything that we hold dear is stripped away from us, and that gives us an opportunity, believe it or not, to to, to realize to come to that very deep realization of what really matters. Um, 
we are definitely brought into the present moment when that happens. And if you've ever struggled to live in the present, that'll bring you to the present. Um, part of our part of our work in the last gosh almost 50 years already was to and has been to help people with the emotional burdens that come from difficulties in their life uh, we've dealt with people that had you know childhood developmental issues we have others that have had shock issues we've had the combinations we've dealt with and wrote a book about it called uh, that complex developmental traumas and difficult experiences that one primarily we dealt we deal with with military folks particularly marines and seals um but we have seen that everyone who is anybody who's a human being that has faced difficult times um is going to have emotional reactions and they are tough. We're not talking about the easy ones of day-to-day -day living and being a little anxious, you know, being a touch fearful or a little down today. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something that is not the norm. It's extraordinary. We're talking about things that the emotions, let's say we're talking about fear, is so overwhelming that it's hard to know if, you're, if we're going to even make it. It's the kind of things that we're facing that the situations force us to look at life differently immediately and are we going to get through it so that fear is so much more intensified and so much more extraordinary it sounds like you're talking about kind of like the survival mechanism or the we, survival response and that's the thing we need to that we are going to bring up um, we know that to help people through the effects and impact of traumatic difficult chaotic situations um, it affects our nervous system it affects our bodies um, in ways that doesn't, they don't just go away when the situation is over. And um, we've learned by that the automatic parts of ourselves, the autonomic responses in ourselves, uh, are imprinted with these experiences. And what happens is um, our job is to get that stuff purged and cleared. It's not the complete answer, but what we have found is if we can get people back to what we call normal self-regulation, where their reactions are, are back to the norm and where they're not always into the hyper-arousal, hyper-alert, expecting crisis at any minute, at any minute or, had a, or uh, needing to get through the crisis. Uh, the, our, our systems are really not designed to be on that kind of hot, high burn 24-7. Our systems are geared to be ready and to get us through it, but then to let go, to decompress, and then come back to a normal self-regulation. And there's another part of our nervous system that's called the parasympathetic. And basically, that's when we let down. That's when we're back to the norm of life, and we're are, we're reading things in a more a calm, with some perspective and understanding that we're safe, and life goes on, and we're in a good place. And if we're not that other system goes into action. But when we're talking about people who've gone through terrible, stressful times, they don't get out of that hyper mode. They can't sleep. They have nightmares. Um, they're expecting catastrophe at any moment where we, of course, saw the, have seen the worst of that is when we deal with military, uh, the folks that have come through terribly hard times. 
um, and they're carrying these disastrous, horrendous experiences with them. And while they were in combat, everybody had that. But when they came home, we deal with the folks that can't seem to get past it. So they expect a, that kind of catastrophe at any corner. They look at every window, every doorway, and expect more of it. Our job is to get that released and purged and cleared so we can begin to give them perspective and help them reintegrate in life again um, and become civilians, I mean, uh, in many different ways. So we've seen that. We know about that. But we also know people who go through difficulties, they go through that too. They can have the same experience. Exactly. Just as we were saying at the beginning that that ongoing stress um, – uh, experiences of failure or change or loss of control, those are experiences where people can feel like they're in survival mode, they're in hyper alert, and they can't let down. That's right. And they're feeling so completely stripped and vulnerable. It's a very uncomfortable state to be in. The normal support and systems and sense of control have been stripped away. There is value to it, I know. And I could talk about that in a minute, but I almost don't want to at this point because just to talk about being in that state yeah. is so uncomfortable and and uh, disturbing. So uh, for us, we have to help folks get through that and the effects of that and um, afterwards know that their bodies have been affected. Their outlook, their perspective on things has been affected too. Our job is to help them get through that. Today we call it mentoring. Today we call it life and, uh, and wellness coaching. I believe those are better labels uh, for what we do than we've ever had before. There are some folks that come out of it so super disturbed that they need a much more intensive psychotherapy approach. But I want to say this. That is not the only support that people need to go to. In fact, that's usually the one that comes out. Well, you may, you want help? You should go to your a, a local psychotherapist. I was a psychotherapist for a long time. Unfortunately, in some ways, it put a limit on people, the way people related to me. And the truth is, the way I related to them. And that, to me, is a loss. Today, I don't relate that way. I see people as human beings first. I don't see them as clinical cases. Yes, I have that expertise, but I'll be honest with you. I look at people as human beings who have gone through rough times and they've been affected as anybody would be affected. And then I figure out what's the way to get them to come back to themselves as human beings. Do I look at them clinically? And the answer is I don't, and I don't like it. And I don't think psychotherapy is the only place to get support. In fact, I know it's not. And and unfortunately, it has become uh, almost a marker of of embarrassment or shame. Um, if I am, am not able to handle what's going on in my life and I actually need to be seen as a clinical case, I don't like that. I, I, I want to be seen as someone who's struggling, but not put into that box. Sick. Yeah. Well, you know how we learned it working with the Navy SEALs, and yeah. they made it very clear, don't call us people who have post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. We have post-traumatic stress, and if you went through as many operations as we did... You'd have it too. You'd have it too and more. Yep. And this goes with the territory. So if you're going to help us, don't start putting us to mental illness categories. Mm -hmm. Treat us as human beings that have taken a great responsibility for helping others and fighting in some horrendously nightmarish war situations... And then we come back with 
impacted by what we've been through. Mm -hmm. They were right. I'll be honest with you, when I was first confronted with it, and they didn't confront, well, they did confront me hard, now that I think of it. But um, Steve will attest to that. He was there when we were (laughs) talking to command, and they they did confront me in about 30 seconds, and they wanted to make sure I wasn't some space out from Marin County. Actually, that's what they said. (laughs) And that came from the Admiralty right down to (laughs) the lower level, was it? We got nailed. But they expected me to go, you know, collapse. Yeah. And well, they there didn't. Was, no, 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 no. Not, and there was no need for me to. I'm used to it. Yeah. So at the end, obviously, they really do trust me and did trust me. Yeah. And they entrusted with me with a lot of their personal struggles. Mm-hmm. And it's very touching and very human. Very. Very human. So they educated me. And uh, I've stayed with that for the last several years. So have you and so have our staff. And we've made sure that we function as not clinicians anymore, but as coaches and mentors helping people to realize a better way, that there is a better way of life. We need to find out what it is they're after in life and help them get to it. We do have the tools and skills. We're not going to do therapy with them. We're going to do something else to help them recover from their traumas and reach a new level of health they never thought possible. Mm-hmm. That is our expertise, and that we can do, and we do do it all the time, and we're very grateful to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, a new component that has really entered our universe, and it must—it probably has a whole lot to do with what I'm going through personally, is, is caregivers in need. Family caregivers, uh, professional caregivers, they're coming into our life a whole lot more now. And we're seeing... It's part of our culture. It is part of our culture. Our aging culture and our our uh, our parents, you know, are, are living, our, our, our seniors are living longer and longer and are in need of care. And this is just a very strong fact in, in, in our life right now. It is. And the other, of course, when we're dealing with soldiers that have gone through a lot of IED explosions, they had dementia, a type of dementia from post... Uh, the, uh, traumatic brain injuries, and they were in their late 20s and early 30s. Now, that was one part, but now we're seeing a much broader uh, uh, influx of caregivers and what they're going through and dealing with in their lives and the effect it has. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's a calling upon our lives. We know what it is. We have teams of caregivers that we work, we're part of and designed, and they're the best. And um, I'm part of that and grateful for it. And we've learned a lot that we can help others. And I think that... There are a lot of parallels. There yes. are. Yes, that, uh, that feeling of being hyper alert. You've got to be watching and caring for your loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that anything could happen at any moment and you might not know how to handle it or uh, you have very little control over what's going to be happening. There are just so many parallels. And the idea that you can't really or shouldn't really stop and take care of yourself. That is huge, and I I just want to, that is so huge, we can't get into it right now because (laughs) you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break.
Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Before our break, we were getting into uh, the topic of caregiving and the emotional pathway experience of caregiving and how it is very similar to post-traumatic stress and uh, the aspects of being always vigilant, always feeling that you need to be always vigilant with the loved one that you're caring for, uh, that you have, main, will you be able to take care of anything that comes up? Uh, will you handle the crisis? Uh, you feel like you may not have enough control. You don't know if you can handle what's going to happen. Uh, you get tired. You feel like you can't take time for yourself. Uh, and, and then you can spiral downward and your emotions can take over. And we have seen how badly this can go. Um, so I this is something that we can really dig into now. We've got time. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a good subject. I really do. I hope there's a lot of caregivers out there today listening. Um, we certainly are expanding our nonprofit to include more than just veterans' uh, families because we see the need is so great. And I'm certainly going through it, so I have a greater em- understanding and empathy than I've ever had, and I continue to have it. So it seems to, you know... Uh, I seem to draw people. Jenny's a caregiver, and she's actually in charge of our caregiving teams. Um, they say I'm in charge. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I just listen. And uh, But Jenny's in charge, and we watch what people are going through and, and uh, how difficult it, it, it is on everyone. Um, what, we're, what we're seeing is that people get tired. And even though... They really have a lot of experience sometimes. They have the knowledge and the expertise. That perspective can diminish. Not that the expertise diminishes, but they get tired. Mm -hmm. They get emotionally drained. They think about taking care of the people in front of them all the time. So one of the things that begins to happen is they forget how to take care of themselves. It's happened to me many times. I think it's a common subject I've seen come up in caregivers' support and training groups, um, how people just forget that they have to take care of themselves in order to be resilient. And our job is to remind them that they're going to need to pay attention to the impact and the effect on their bodies, on their minds, on their spirit um, when they're doing this, because it's a one-way street. You're giving all the time. And... Most caregivers that I know want to give. They're terrific people. But um, at the same time that uh, they're, uh, they're terrific and they want to give, well, the truth of the matter is sometimes they need some time for themselves. We also find something that used to be part of a clinical uh, <laughs> uh, part of a diagnosis. And I used to hear one of my old colleagues used to call it our our committee that we have in our heads. Yeah. And it's always the critical voices. It was in part of uh, psychology many years ago, we called that the critical parent, the voice of the critical parent. Mondo called it the, the committee. But I'll tell you what, it's not clinical. Mm-mm. It's universal. No, I thought Mondo's term for it took it out of the clinical for yeah, me. and he was wonderful. Instead of critical parent. Mondo's great that way. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we see is that when... It's time to um, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. 
people hear that critical committee saying you're being selfish. Yeah. How could you think of yourself at that time like this when the person you take care of is deteriorating, they're so sick, they're moving toward a deadly end? Mm-hmm. What do you mean take some time for yourself? You're going to take a break, and while you're gone, something bad's going to happen. So you can't. And you'll feel bad. And you'll feel guilty. Yep. So you have to stay. That is misguided thinking. It's also a, a misguided uh, emotional state that's speaking yeah. because the truth is we call it needing a respite break, needing some time for yourself to get away. It's, called, it's self-care. And if you're thinking about being in the, here for the long haul and helping that person or the people you're responsible for, you better take care of yourself. Yeah. It's so important. Um, there's a group that I'm involved with and I'm also they're being great help to me. It's called the Redwood Caregivers Resource Center. They're wonderful. And uh, they, out of all the groups I know, really emphasize and work with caregivers. Uh, There's no doubt in their mind what they're here for and um, what their work's meant to do. One of the things that I find very interesting with them, uh, let me think what they, they do so many, (laughs) they do so much to help. I'm thinking about some of the groups and some of the things that I have learned from uh, uh, every walk of life and how every so much so many people are being affected, and specifically they they handle mostly Alzheimer's post, people who are taking care of Alzheimer's, stroke victims, cardiovascular, cancer, MS, um, dementia. They're incredible. They do a great job, um, but what I see is that folks suffer anyway. And one of the big problems they have is guilt. They feel that they have to give all the time, 24-7, and not think about themselves. Well, the truth of the matter is the funding, one of the biggest funding sources is government grants that are available, and here's why. Almost 65%, I think it's 63 or 64% or more, of caregivers die before the people are taken care of. Now, we've known in the last two years numbers, I can't remember, but a number of people that that's happened to. Those statistics are shocking, and they would be hard to believe if we had not seen that, in fact, in our lives. We saw that at the couple at our church. It happened in my family. We've seen that more, many more times than you would think. Yeah, and when I was told about it, I was cynical. And here I was, a clinician who thought I knew it all. Well, this clinician's been humbled over and over again these days. I'm a person now, and it's true. When you're a lo- you have a loved one and they're sick and dying, and you're giving everything you can, there's a part of you that goes down with them. And it's such a, they call it, a, even when they're alive uh, and dealing with them while they're still alive, there's an, a process called the, the uh, what is it called? Uh, ambiguous grief and uh, loss. Yeah. Where you're actually grieving the loss of the person as they're fading from your, from your their life with you. Then you have the anticipatory grief that this is before they die, mm-hmm. and it's so painful. And I don't care how much you know, and I know a lot now. I don't know enough to always counter that because there is a time when I feel those things very, very deeply. Uh, I can hear my voice sinking, and I've been told when I start talking about my personal life, my voice gets lower and softer. It's because it's so painful. 
Yes. And I watch it. I can't deny it. I've talked about how after a full week of taking helping my wife and helping others that are going through these things, um, it hits me. And, uh, and you have to take that time. And you have to. You must take that time. Yes. And what that may mean, and it does for me, and it does for many, is to deal with the emotional impact on my life, on my being, physically, emotionally, spiritually, the whole thing. And for me, to get a catharsis, to get rid of that, to have a good cry, to get the anger out, to get the frustration out, not on anyone, but to have a space that I have for myself... I think one of the outstanding care workers over at the Redwood Empire, Redwood Resource Center, called it having a plan B, Mm -hmm. which means you have to take some time to take care of yourself. Um, We talk about it. We have a a protocol that we developed for the Veterans Administration a number of years ago. And we we would tell people who are caregivers, and we dealt with a lot of them, that when those people are who are you're working with in front of you, you're there, you have to be there for them. When you are there and you need to be there for them and you can't let the, your emotions take you over, then we've called that pushing the pause button. That's right. And when and it's so necessary because the truth of the matter is it's very easy for our emotions and our pain to begin to come up so much that we can actually contaminate, make the work more difficult for others. We teach people how not to do that temporarily. Mm-hmm. Then we teach them what Redwood Resource people call the plan B. We call it pushing the pause button. Then it's time to take care of yourself. Emotionally, whatever burdens you've absorbed, whatever energy you have taken on, you have to take care of. Um, We call it an energy economy, and we'll get to that in a minute. We've alluded to it in other programs. Mm -hmm. It's so important because you're giving, 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 you're absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. And it's very, very painful. So the point really is, what do you do to take care of it? Well, the first part of it is you gotta be aware of the impact that this all has on you and not go numb, not cut that yourself. Would, that's the, at <clears throat> that point about not pushing the off button. Mm-hmm. You're not turning off, you're just pushing the pause button. Pause button. Yeah. You, you don't want to turn off. You don't want to shut down. You don't want to deny how you feel. You're just putting it off till a time when That's it's right. safe to do that. Yeah. You, and, you know, it's hard about that is you have to be aware mm-hmm. somehow of how this is impacting you. have to stay you. aware on some level. Very, very painful and difficult, and yet that's what has to be. You're not supposed to numb out and pretend that everything's fine and you're not affected until the day you're so overwhelmed and burned out you won't take care of anybody anymore. And then you have a breakdown emotionally, physically, and then it overwhelms you. What All that stuff you buried will come back. And that's trouble. Yes. Um, that's trouble. It's also physical problems many times come up. And the worst of it, of course, is when people die from the damage. So that's all real. Mm-hmm. It sounds dramatically terrible, but it can happen. We know how to prevent it. And we know we all have to prevent it if we're going to go on. We're committed to helping others. We're committed to caregivers. We're committed to dealing with the sick and troubled and those that have been through terrible times. If we're in this for the long haul, we know what you have to do because we do it for ourselves. Even at our, um, at our institute, we make sure we take care of our own staff. We don't let that just ride. If we see our staff beginning to slip, if we see some of their emotional burdens beginning to, to interfere in their work or interfere in their relationships, we make sure 
that they push the pause button and get the help that they need so they can go back refreshed, renewed, restored, and more resilient. That has to happen for everybody. Yes. And teaching everybody that is a big, I have a big commitment. So do you. Um, To make sure this does happen. I don't think it's a well-known, not all of this is well-known. Certainly the skills and abilities we've developed over these many years, not everybody knows. We know. But we've trained people. We've trained uh, people to, uh, what were the combat crisis treatment team? Mm -hmm. Um, We've done it, and we know it works. But there's a whole lot that goes with it because once you get rid of that, you do need the help and support and love and encouragement and uplifting and perspective that loved ones, a pastor, a rabbi, a counselor, um, good close friends that know you well, family members can offer you. It's amazing how that'll stick when you get rid of all the emotional overload first. Absolutely. When you can start to hear what people have to say, it's yeah. it's that same pattern that we've talked about many times when, when someone is right in the middle of something very hard and very difficult. The last thing they may want to hear is, there's going to be something good coming. You should yeah. be hopeful, yeah. you know, and that's like, yeah, right. Yeah. And so, uh, but but once they've kind of worked through some of the emotions, they're more able to hear support and encouragement. And they can apply it. And apply it. Because their emotional blockage is out of the way. And it's amazing how resilient people become. They go right back to what they have to do, but they feel like a different person. We used to call it... Um, women, I hope most of the ladies will forgive me, but the way people would walk in and the way they'd leave, we used to call it a cheap facelift mm. because they look so much better when the emotional burden was lifted off their shoulders. The color comes back, mm. their voices change, they stand up straighter. Yeah. I've seen all that yeah. so many times. And their work becomes more effective on a consistent, ongoing basis. That's right. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, In this last uh, portion of our episode today, I'd like to return to something we've kind of touched on here and there uh, as we've been talking, and that is the need for help and support that we all have when we're going through difficult times. Um, uh, Kelly uh, today called it um, Grab the Lifeline. And we were just talking before the break about how it can be really hard to do that when our emotions are taking over and clouding our perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can also hear our committee. We talked about the committee saying, uh, you shouldn't need help or uh, you should take care of this on your own. Uh, there are many things that can get in the way of, first off, asking for help or even admitting we need help. And then things can get in the way of, of being able to take in the help. Mm. But... We feel this is so essential to surviving through adversity, through growing, through moving forward. So let's take some time now to really kind of dig into this one. I'm glad. I, you know, it's funny. I was just going to talk about you. You're about 30 seconds ahead of me. <laughs> that's okay, by the way. Well, because that's exa- one of the things, there are things that happen as human beings, not clinical cases, that we need to look at. And one of the things that happen is when we start getting tired, 
and we start hearing that committee give us a hard time, um, and we're feeling badly, we begin to isolate ourselves and withdraw. And um, we start feeling alone. In fact, we do things to make ourselves alone. And that, that begins to happen. And you ask yourself, well, why would people do that? Well, there's, a, there's a, an embarrassment and a shame about this state of being that all of us experience, and yet for some reason... That doesn't seem to register. Well, one of the things that can go on, particularly with all this online media, is that people look around and they think people are living these exactly. perfect exactly. lives. And uh, that's not true. That isn't true at all. And yet that's what's thro- thrust in our face. Now, we're going through the hard times as caregivers. We're going through the effects of cr- trauma and crisis or difficult times, and we feel bad. And we feel less than. Yes. Okay. That's, again, a human thing that happens. Can it be exacerbated by our histories? Of course it can. But does it happen? The answer is yes. And then we look outside of ourselves, and everybody is trying to live the perfect life. They're really on top of their game, and they're really doing great. And how does that make you feel when you know you're not mm-hmm. and you're feeling terrible? Mm-hmm. It makes you feel like embarrassed, ashamed, and weak and unreliable. So the first, the reaction to that many times is to withdraw and to begin to cut ourselves off and hide out because we're feeling so bad. That's the last thing you should do at those times. Yeah. That's not a respite break. That's hiding from things we need to face and deal with, and get support from the community, get support from our families, get support from therapists, or re- counselors, uh, rabbis, priests, people in your, friends, friends of yours that know you better. Mm-hmm. We need it. And the truth of the matter is, the people that I know are the most resilient. They're the folks that recognize that and begin to reach out for help. And support and knowing from past experience that if they don't, they're going to begin to lose ground no matter how much they know. And uh, people reach out to us for trauma recovery as mentors and coaches, which we're glad to do, to be honest with you. Uh, But there's many different ways to do it. Um, I was just thinking recently uh, for myself, I'm a caregiver and uh, I've Definitely, and I'm a healthy guy. I work out. I ride horses. I do, I do a lot of things. Thanks to the caregiving teams that we, that I have, and that work with us, so it gives me a chance to get a break. Well, I got to tell you how long that lasts. It lasts for the time that I'm doing it, and then I have to get right back to taking care of my wife, taking care of others, uh, being in charge of the institute, being involved in the nonprofit, all of that. So, one of the things that that I sees it affects your health after a while when you're losing somebody like i'm losing my beloved wife of 45 we've been together 45 years my heart's breaking there is no question about it i don't care how much i know i don't care how much i understand of what she's going through this has been my best partner in life and we've done everything together and now i'm alone most of the time and um so one of the things that i did as i went for a physical checkup and it turns out that 
of course, the primary physician happens to be a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and he's a wonderful guy. He's a guy. good man. He's a great man. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends, to be honest with you. That's the best way to deal with the medical system. Find some good people in it that are personal to yeah. help you. Mm-hmm. The system's overpowering. I have him. And I was talking to him and uh, about some things that are happening. He says, you, you know, I see you're, you're in good shape. You're okay. Yes, you've lost some weight, but boy, considering what you're going through and how good you look, and uh, you'll be okay. And uh, we're talking, I was injured on one of my horses. We're, I've had a lot of competitive sports on, and on my horses as well. I usually recover in seven days and get right back to it. That's the kind of person I am. And I had an injury that happened six months ago, mm-hmm. and I am still recovered from it. Yeah. And I was told caregivers get hurt more, and they recover more slowly. It's the truth. Anyway, I went to him, he says, you are recovering. And I'll give you some things to help you, not drugs, because I don't like drugs. And uh, But he says, you know, you, you're doing all right considering everything. In fact, the reason your wife is still doing as well as she is is because of the magnificent, incredible caregiving teams that you guys have there and what they're doing. And he, she said, I see the impact of them. I see these people, how they work. I've never seen anything like it. And your wife feels loved and cared for around the clock with the, from the best people. And he, when he said that, I heard it, and it gave me some perspective. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I am hurting, I can't lie to you. And uh, this is the end of the week, and uh, I've worked on a lot this week, and I'm, I'm sad, I'm hurting. And he says, well, maybe you should go to a therapist. And I said, Philippe, <laughs> I've been a therapist for almost 50 years. That's not what I'm looking for right now. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what about me? You could always come here and talk to me. I'm your friend. And I said, you I trust. Yeah. You I know. Mm-hmm. And that that works for me. And I just barely reached out, and he was right there. And he's a busy guy. He's a loving guy, a sweet guy. Mm-hmm. But that was his offer to me. He says, I'll be here for you. He says, come. I'll take care of it. We'll make sure the medical is taken care of, which is, it seems to be. Um, but he was also saying, hey, I'll talk to you. I know your wife. I know Lynn. And I'll be glad to be here for you and give you perspective mm-hmm. and help you. Mm-hmm. That works for me. That's yes. just one of many people that I reach out to. Are they therapists? No. No. They're fellow human beings. He doesn't act, by the way, as an MD to me. He's a friend. Mm-hmm. He's a fellow human being. I have all the caregivers around me. My wife, they're all remarkable. In this case, women, beautiful incredible in every way and intelligent gifted people that do a great job they're there uh people at the redwood resource center connie don't get mad but connie lorenz is over there and she is an incredible expert in this and i love her and i appreciate the kind of supportive work that she does for caregivers um the alzheimer's association also has some pretty decent folks um but I know a lot of people, and they are so loving and available and compassionate. So I do reach out, and I need to, because I can see how easily caregivers can go down with the people they're taking care of. It's not not a made-up, catastrophic fantasy. It's a fact. I don't want to do that. I want to be here for Lynn as long as I can. I want to go on. I have so many other things I want to do in life that are important, that I'm learning all the time on how to do better thanks to Lynn thanks to all the caregivers and all the people involved now well I'm, I don't want my life to end until it's my time 
And frankly, I, I feel a deep, strong sense of commitment, calling to continue on. But in the meantime, I need support and help. And so do our caregivers. Jenny does. Mm-hmm. Sunday is not her best day. No. But this is a hard-working lady. And uh, she works at her institute. She administrates. She's a really brilliant woman. And um, Sunday, she's exhausted. And I look at her and I go, you can't do it on Sundays. Yeah. It's too hard on you. We'll use somebody else on another part of the team who isn't exhausted. Yeah. It happens to all of us. And we have support. And then we'll do give them some time to take care of their emotional burdens and it's very important or anything physical that's bothering them yeah i want to i want to take a moment uh along these lines to share something another thing that kelly mentioned today and that is she she wanted us to stress that this takes practice being aware of when you're needing help when you're starting to go down to accept that you're going to need some help to reach out for it and to take it in and to keep going through that over and over. She said, it takes practice. It takes determination. You just have to keep doing it over and over again. And that it's, I mean, we can talk about it almost as sort of, maybe it it could sound simple, but it's not. It really isn't. It's not. But we're coming to the end of the show. But I do, the other thing that we've been talking about is what they call the energy economy. Right. And if you ever wanted to be tuned in, to how much positive energy you have to have to give as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. Oh, if you're going through it, you'll become acutely aware that you don't have a lot of energy for anything else. And if there's other things in your life that drain off your good energy or deplete you or take away from, that's the time that you need to start getting more efficient. Yes. And close those plug, plug those drains because you can't afford to let that energy go negative or take it away from you. There's a paper we read today that we we didn't write that one. There was another one. And it was talked about emotional vampires, mm-hmm. people that just suck off of you. And, you know, when you're feeling living life day to day, well, there you run into them. It doesn't kill you. And you're not even acutely aware of it. And so it's not the best, but it's not it's not anything that's devastating. But if you're living with somebody who's an emotional vampire and you're a caregiver mm-hmm. and you need your energy mm-hmm. and you need to... Um, restore yourself and you have an emotional vampire person at home you're in trouble Mm -hmm. because not only don't you get restored from your work you go home where you should be restored and in fact the draining goes on and on and on that's a liability so one of the things is becoming more acutely aware of our energy needs and how this work that we're talking about takes a lot of positive energy and then we have to stay away from and begin to reprioritize our relationships. And those that are draining and taking away from what we need to do, you need to get out of. And Mim brought that up the other day. She did too. And I know uh, when we, you've referred at times to the training we did back east with the combat crisis treatment teams in the VA, a good portion of that training involved uh, helping them understand energy drains and how to preserve themselves for the work that they were doing. That's a full topic. We aren't going to be able to do give it all justice today. And so I just want to throw that out there and say that we will probably be returning to I this. I think so. In the next episodes, we should start talking about it because there's a lot of sensitivities to the body, 
that you need to develop um, and be tuned into because that's your signs. We'll do. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. How? Um, what is it that drains our energy? How can we recognize it? What can we do about it? Absolutely. And we're going to do that. I agree. Next, next episode. All right. Absolutely. So, Jenny, this is the end of this one, and yes. Jenny's going to do one of her beautiful closings. <laughs> and I think this has been a great show today. Oh, yes. Practical. I hope people who uh, are in need of what we're talking about listen to this carefully. Anything you need, call us. Talk to Jenny. I'm too busy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, you, you can call me anytime. But anyway, Peter Jenny's going to talk. Yeah, I Peter do. is definitely a phone person. He's not a text person. He's not an email person. He's a phone person. So, having said that, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, and if you'd like to know more about our show or about Peter, uh, or me, uh, heaven forbid, uh, please visit our website at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. That's thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Please like us. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time. We love doing this, and we hope you're getting so much out of what we give to you. Mm-hmm.